Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the History Brothers Podcast. I'm Wyatt. And I'm Andrew. And today we will be starting our three-part series on Hollywood history. Today we will be starting with part one. We will be focusing on Hollywood. Uh, I'll briefly be dis- be discussing it from just before the 1930s to 50s. So, like, uh, what helped create... Essentially, what uh, helped create Hollywood as a town. The town itself I'm talking about, and also kind of how it developed uh as like the pl- the center for movie making and like the place to be in order to like you know rise as a, as a star and yeah. and be famous in movies and all that um andrew will be talking about films as well as uh some controversies that w- hollywood was involved in uh politically i believe not politically but more like just well, yeah, part of the politics part, part, of, the also politics. part of part of the influx of what you'll be discussing at in the hollywood in the history oh, yeah, of Hollywood. With its darker side. Yeah, the darker side, yeah. Yeah. That's where I got one of these books from. <laughs> right. Um so to start off, Hollywood, the town itself, the area was not developed in the late eighteen hundreds. It was an agriculture area. And a guy named um what's his name? Harvard Henry Wilcox, who who was a real estate developer, moved from Topeka, Kansas in eighteen eighty three to what was Hollywood. It was but there was nothing there. It was just a place you could do agriculture. He tried his hand in being, uh, I believe it's a rancher. Yeah, he tried Farmer to do, rancher around there. He, he tried to be a rancher starting in 1883. He purchased 150 acres of land. Did he purchase the cattle? I don't know. Because if he, if he was a rancher, he had cattle. Okay. Yeah. Um, but after a few years of trying that out, and his efforts didn't really go very well in 1887... He made plans with Los Angeles County Recorder's Office to to subdivide the land. Um, And sometime thereafter, not long uh, after he did that, uh, houses began to spring up. So basically, um, uh, real estate uh, building up houses and other buildings began to show up. So Hollywood essentially was beginning to become a town rather than an agricultural area for ranchers and farmers. Yeah. So it's interesting. I mean... It makes sense because a lot of the places, like, you think about that became big cities were once, like, agricultural, like, right. farmer for farmers and ranchers. Like, just think of uh, St. Paul yep. and, and the fact that it used to be called Pig's Eye. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Which, br- uh, brief side note, we should do an episode on Minnesota history. Oh, I fully hardly agree on yeah. that one. <laughs> some, some point down the road, though. Yes, yeah, not yet. Not. We're still doing our three-part yeah. people. We're not taking breaks in between. Yeah. Um... <laughs> So there's a man by the name of H.J. Whitley. He is considered the father of Hollywood. Um, to And so far I've been getting, I've been discussing the information from an article on history.com. And while I know some people aren't always a fan of yeah. the business, um, they are pretty good with general information. And most of the information here seems, and most of their general information here seems fairly accurate. Yeah. Um, so H.J. Whitley, considered the father of Hollywood, um, to quote the article, uh, Whitley opened the Hollywood Hotel, now the site of the Dolby Theater, which hosts the annual Oscar ceremony. Oh, wow. So he opened the theater where they now host the Oscars. Nice. It's actually really cool. Uh, another quote, Hollywood was incorporated in 1903 and merged with Los Angeles in 1910. So Hollywood was its own city slash town, but it yeah. became a part of larger Los Angeles. Right. Which is why 
when I visited there in a high school for a choir tour, I thought it was weird how it was considered a part of Los Angeles. It's like, so is it its own place or is it Los Angeles? And it's like, it's, it is kind of, it's, it is a town, so to speak, but yeah. it became part of larger Los Angeles. So it technically isn't its own place anymore, but it's still considered that because it originally was, and now it's become like a cultural, it's become like an icon of American culture yeah. and film. So, um, at the time, Prospect Avenue became the now famous Hollywood uh, Boulevard. The uh, the first film completed in, in Hollywood, it's not the first film made, but the first film completed in Hollywood, was an adaptation of the classic book The Count of Monte Cristo, published, and it was made in 1908. Uh, the Or, so, sorry, it was released to theaters in 1908. And this was during the era of, like, uh, silent films, so think of Charlie Chaplin and all his stuff. <laughs> exactly. The Hollywood... The Hollywood sign originally actually said Hollywood Land, and it was meant to help advertise upscaled suburban housing. That was its original purpose. But of course, it became the classic sign that we all know. It was actually... Camera! <laughs> Sorry. It, it's all right. I know the movie Geek in You is coming out. Yes. <laughs> it's gonna, it's, it was going to come out at some point or another, and these in this three-part series, it's probably going to come out quite a bit. I mean, technically it already has with our other discussions of film. But anyways, True. continue. But, I, but uh, yeah... Um, that's the interesting fact about the Hollywood sign. It also was, um, outfitted with, with lights and everything to be shiny at night, which I think it still does, right? Oh, yeah. Well, yes, I believe so. Yeah. They, I know it's, the sign's a bit run down these days. It is a bit run down, yeah. But, um, I think they still have lights on. Yes, I believe so. Yeah. Um, and then the era from the 1910s to 1930s, so a little pre-1930s to 1950s stuff, um, was considered Hollywood's golden age with films. So you had uh, the silent film uh, era, as well as the beginning later on in, was it the late 20s or was it the 30s with, like, speaking? Speaking began in 1920, 1927. 1927. Right before the Great Depression hit. Okay. So late 1920s is when this was when uh, the, weren't they called the speakies? Or something? The talkies. Like the, the talkies, yeah. The talkies of films began. Um, and 1930s is considered by some to be the height of Hollywood's, like, early golden age. Uh, some of the movies I'm sure Andrew will mention it or talk about are Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, the yep. classic, uh, Disney film. Well, that was mid-30s and stuff by that time. Still, it was the 30s. 30s. Yeah, but it was, the talkies were gone on by that, but anyways. I'm just talking about how those Examples. films are part of its yeah. <laughs> golden, height of its golden yes, age. Yes, uh, Citizen Kane, which I think is actually considered one of the first, like, modern films with how it uh filmed like most films uh try to meet at that level but Citizen Kane did something different at least I think it's Citizen Kane where it's you filmed from from a downward angle so you could actually see the ceiling whereas in most early films you actually didn't see the ceiling it was more like top down or even where you couldn't even view the ceiling think like think like sitcoms where you have the set piece where you have the one set you don't really see the ceiling or the, right exactly yeah, yeah. like that basically right so citizen kane was it also had some interesting uh practical effects that were for the time considered groundbreaking and it was one of the few like unanimous like oh unanimously film, praised, praised films yeah. like it is can, honestly some people consider it the greatest film ever made yeah or at least one of the greatest films. Yeah. If you don't consider it the greatest film, but you know, yeah. opinions vary. Oh, yeah. Um, and then there's, of course, the classic Wizard of Oz with Judy Garland. 
And, of course, there are others, but I'm sure I'll leave that discussion for Andrew. I yeah. don't want to steal his thunder. <laughs> um, there's also some interesting stuff about Hollywood in World War II and afterwards. So, 1940s and leading into the 1950s. So, during this era of World War II and afterwards, lots of documentaries and reels of the war were made to help people understand the reality of war. And uh, I can say this for a fact, my grandma, who was born in 41, actually got to watch some of that stuff nice. growing up. So, nice. pretty cool. Um, there are also cartoons were made to help support the war effort, or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, what some consider to be propaganda. Yep. But at the same time, support the troops. Support the troops, too. Yeah. So, it's, you know. That Donald Duck cartoon. What's from interesting City. is that other nations uh, made cartoon took classic American cartoon characters and actually had them look like the bad guys. It was an evil cartoon. I know. I'm like, dang, this is dark. I'm like, these characters are beloved. And it's like, our enemies made this? I mean, makes sense. We saw that in one of our Western Civ course. Yeah. And then we also saw in the same Western Civ course, the Donald Duck cartoon. Oh, about <laughs> how he loved to be an assist in the American assistant in the United States because he dreamed he was in Nazi Germany <laughs> and that he had to like every single every five seconds you know say Heil Hitler yep. <laughs> poor, poor Donald Duck yep <laughs> he always gets the worst of it in the cartoons I oh yeah like. always <laughs> um so there's also a situation in just after World War II called the Hollywood 10 uh quote uh 10 directors and screenwriters known as the Hollywood 10 chose to challenge the legality of the HUAC's actions. That stands, it was a committee, HUAC was a committee created in the House of Representatives to investigate uh, supposed uh, areas or groupings of communists in America. Basically, to put a halt to communism in any way possible. During the McCarthy era, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the HUAC stood for um, House of Un-American Activities... Committee? Committee, I believe. Maybe. That's Let me double guess. check quick. Yeah. Sorry. I've already All forgotten good. it. Um, All good. Yeah, House of... Rep- uh, nope, sorry. House of Un-American Activities Committee. So, yeah, I did there get it right. Um, so, the Hollywood Ten were ten directors and screenwriters that... who became known as the Hollywood Ten chose to challenge the legality of this group's actions, this group from Congress. They claimed the investigation that they were undergoing violated their civil rights. However, their efforts backfired when they were held in contempt of Congress fined, and eventually jailed. Yep. Um, after this event, anyone who was under suspicion of supporting communism were blacklisted from Hollywood. Two examples, which names I'm familiar with, are Charlie Chaplin. Yes, he was blacklisted by the U.S. government, or blacklisted because of his being investigated uh, by the U.S. government for communist support. And then there's also um, another name I recognize, Burl Ives. He's known for singing as the snowman, in the original... Um, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. You may know him f- for singing uh, Silver and Gold, or what was the other one? It was about Christmas trees. Uh, or no, that was Silver and Gold. Have a holly jolly Christmas. Christmas. Yep. He's well known for that, for those songs. And for voicing that character in the special. Oh, yeah. But it's important to know, too, though, that he did still continue acting in the 60s. And I think he did, yeah. did some directing, too, in the 60s. Yeah, so. so they both did still have a career in Hollywood. It's just for a while they... For a time, yeah. For, for a time they were uh, looked look down upon because they were suppo- viewed as supposed communist supporters, even though there yep. may have been little to no evidence. Yep. That... You could kind of consider this a later version of what was in the 1920s considered the Red Scare. Yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, it makes sense why Charlie Chaplin might, or, and others in the 20s might come under fire because 
the Roaring Twenties had the Red Scare where people were afraid of communists. Yes, but it was kind of it was worse though with McCarthy. Era. Oh, it was the it was definitely worse with McCarthy. Era. Yeah, but yeah, but everybody has their faults. Yep. Although his faults were, I think, uh, his uh, tenacity to investigate communism. Like, I I appreciate you going against communism, but I think some in Congress even were against him because he was so extreme in some ways. Oh, very right. Yeah. Um, but you know, there, it's ideology and manifesting itself in Congress. Yeah. There's crazies on, uh, from every angle. Oh yeah. I mean, if you said one simple thing to McCarthy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, another quote, um, about, so getting into Hollywood's darker side, aside from the, you know, politics in regards to communism, um, on the surface, Hollywood reeks of glitz, but a dark side lurks underneath. Uh, a famous actor named Oscar Levant famously quipped, strip away the phony tinsel of Hollywood and you'll find the real tinsel underneath. Yep. Um, for those who are, are not familiar with Oscar Levant, I didn't really know about him until recently. Uh, fam- he was a famous actor, comedian, piano player, composer, conductor, radio game show host, and TV show host. So he was a trick of all trades. Jack of all trades. Jack of all trades, yeah. But yeah, he did a lot. And um, his his statement about uh, Hollywood tinsel and, you know, finding the real stuff, it, it's kind of sad because one example, sadly, is uh, Judy Garland, who Wizard of Oz, uh, Meet Me in St. Louis. Yep. Uh, well known for being, uh, I mean, she was beloved, a beloved actress. Everyone loved her. But the sad reality is, she, starting as a little girl in Hollywood, she would be drugged by her mother to stay awake for a certain amount of time, a long amount of time, actually, yeah. just to do interviews and stuff and appear. And then she would be drugged again so she could sleep for a long time. And it's and that's then, part of why people think later on she became she had an, an addiction problem with drugs and alcohol. And then it's not really her abuse with her husband. but Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't know the whole story about that one. I've yet to review that further. But, but basically, she faced abuse from another potential, supposedly yes. abuse from her husband. Yep. And that's why she did re- try to remarry so many times, so she could find someone, you know, yeah. she could trust and be safe with. But yeah, sad. They actually made a biopic about her. I've yet to see it. Yeah, I'm sure it's pretty dark. Oh, I bet. But I want to see it, though. It's like Renee Zellweger or something like that playing Judy. And... Yeah. Anyways. Oh, yeah. I think I know what you're talking about. It came about. out like pre-COVID. I wanted to... It did, yeah. yeah. It was in the 2010s. Yeah. yeah. Um, actually, no, no, uh, 2019. Yeah, 2010s. Duh, my brain. Yeah. <laughs> 2019 is 2010s. I've been outside for four and a half hours in hot weather. Sue me. <laughs> um, there was also sexual abuse. There was, um, my. I'm guessing there was in the 30s and 50, to 50s some prostitution, but I doubt it was as prominent as it is now. And mainly, people would do that uh, to... Uh, basically, if they didn't make it big in Hollywood, they would do that just to be able to pay for stuff. Yes, for certain aspects, yes. But prostitution has been sadly widely renowned throughout the past hun- hundreds of years, yeah. unfortunately. No, yeah, but and, I, I'm talking about Hollywood, the town. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I want to yeah. make sure you get your facts in order. <laughs> no, yeah, I'm not talking about prostitution in history. General, again. yeah. <laughs> if you looked up a history of prostitution in the history of the world, I'm sure it's rampant everywhere. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, but I'm sure that's increased over time. But yeah, there was even if there wasn't prostitution, though, as much in Hollywood during the 30s and 50s, or during those decades, it, there was definitely sexual abuse. Because yes. if a woman wanted to get something... Or star in a movie or a show... Or, she might have to do something that would be constituted as sexual abuse. Because it's a man's world, though, in the Hollywood. Yep. Um, and 
those who couldn't make it uh, big needed money, and sometimes they would result to drugs or fall into the porn industry. Though that yeah. I think was more predominant later on. Yeah, it's been probably in the set more in the seventies, yeah. but. And for those who lived in the 70s, I'm just not trying to bash the 70s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, the other thing I want to talk about is how were films watched. Um, um, I mean, obviously, mostly the, the film theater. Yep. This changed, though, as in the 1950s, televisions were becoming big in people's homes. Yep. And theaters began to see some decline in their attendance. Yeah. And I'm sure some of their money making. There was some decline in the 40s. Though that was mostly due to World War Two and its aftermath. Things that, you know, you can't really predict with a yeah. wartime effort. Yeah. Obviously, there was some theater going because there were yeah. some famous films that came out in the 40s. As also the fact people watched documentaries of the war itself in those. Like, yeah. Well, I mean, there was tons it, of films in the 40s. It was just more war-related. I mean, the film is fiction, but think Captain America, the first Avenger, how yeah. he was watching... Uh, yeah, because they had the news, the cartoon. Well, that's yeah. back, well, back then they had the news, the cartoon. They had everything before before anything, even before the movie trailers. Right, yeah. Like you, it was actually like... It was actually like a perform like a show. Like you had to like, it's like, it's not just the movie you're going to. Oh, so it was like a it. whole show. Yeah, yeah. Like you had like, okay, here's what's going on in today's news around the world, and then they play the cartoon. Wait, no, the yeah, the cartoon. I think they had trailers, not for sure, and then they play the movie. Really, they had trailers back then. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> no, I'm actually oh. wondering. Like, no, yeah, they did. If you look them online, you can type up some. Oh wow. Yeah, I don't know about any earlier ones in the 1920s. I'm not for sure, but okay. like. They 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 did have trailers and stuff, especially in the thirties and stuff. I bet you could do you, you could write a whole history book about the history of movie trailers. Oh yeah. I'm sure there's one already. But out. the but there used to be cartoons that always played right before the movie started, which is always neat to how they do that. I wish they would do that. Wait, actually they kinda do that still. Like Pixar films? Yes, they kinda dwindle back on it, but they still do it every now and they then. They do it every now and then. Yeah, but they used to all much. the time. Yeah. yeah. Used to be great. <laughs> I know. If they I, I just remember seeing certain films I would see a pic we would watch a Pixar short and I'm like Oh, this is so nice. Like, Pixar shorts are so relaxing. Oh, yeah. doesn't matter what they are. And then every now and then, Disney, whenever they release an animated movie, they, every now and then they do sometimes put in a short film before the movie starts. Yeah. But now, because of Disney+, Plus, they're like, eh, just throw them all on there. Basically, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah. The, there's also the origins of the Oscars and the award ceremonies. So, the first Oscars, the award ceremony itself, was held in 1929, and it was... And it was uh, focusing on the films that were released from ni- mid-1927 to mid-1928. So similar to how we do films now, but it's now, I think, just the previous year. Yeah. So, yeah. Obviously, that's changed, but still, the fact that they started with that and, you know, continued. Well, I mean, every year now, they when they premiere the Oscars in February, it's always about the past year's movies that came out. Right, yeah. I exactly. Mean, and maybe a few that skaggle on in December to January, but... Right, exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I guess they do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this will do the same Because, I mean, like, uh, Avatar The Way of Water was released in December, and it technically made the next year's Oscars. Exactly. This year's Oscars. Same with Puss in Boots. That was nominated for Best Animated Feature. Yeah. It should have won, in my opinion. It (sighs) should have won. It should have won. Although I can respect choosing Guillermo del Toro's uh, uh, Pinocchio, right? Yes. I respect you, Mr. Del Toro. I respect you as a director, but I like Puss in Boots. <laughs> yeah, I think that film should have won. But, you know. Respect you, though, regardless. <laughs> I think part of it was it was a, a stop-motion animation. It was, in yeah. the, the classic way, yeah. Yeah. And also, why was the Oscar called the Oscar? Well, there's a couple of different theories. I don't know how interesting they are, but that'll be up for you guys to decide. Um, Betty Davis... Uh, thought the a lady named betty davis whoever oh, she was oh no she was a famous actress oh she 50s. was a famous yes actress. oh very okay. famous actress uh thought the oscar awards 
the back part of it looked like her husband, Harmon Oscar Nelson. Mm. And then there's another theory that Academy librarian Margaret Herrick thought that the statue looked like her uncle Oscar. So it's oh. between those two theories, though there's a columnist that maintains that Betty Davis's reasoning was the main... Her husband was the reason it was called the Oscar. But yeah. uh, there's no definitive proof of either of those, so it's kind of just a coin toss between two different theories. Maybe uh, there are others, but I, I that's all I could research, really, uh, from Britannica. Oh, and when I talked about how films were watched, it was... What, what's the website called? Uh, encyclopedia.com. Oh, gotcha. Why are you saying... Yeah, never mind. What's that? Nothing. It just... I t- tapped the link... And it oh. said it doesn't exist, but it's like, really? I it just exists. saw it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I researched it earlier today, but whatever. And, um, yeah. Also, also, slight correction. The other thing I wanted to let know is that Bette Davis, I mixed her up with Doris Day from the 50s. Bette Davis was actually an actress from the 20s and the 40s. A famous actress 20s from the 20s and time. 30s, wasn't it? And 40s, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So I just didn't want to add that up really quick. Yeah. Also, there a brief mention, um, I did quote, uh, the history.com article earlier, but I didn't mention the term quote or say I was going to quote it. So yeah, just a reference point, uh, to my source was all I wanted to say, but moving forward in our discussion of films, as well as in some of the political stuff involved with Hollywood, uh, Andrew, you wanted to talk about that. Yes. So I have a source. Uh, Well, whoever knows about Turner classic movies, raise your hand. Yes, I know you can raise your hand. I know you know it. <laughs> Turner Classic Movies? Turner Classic Movies is a channel slash company that discusses and bestows classic films from every single genre the world has ever seen. It, can, it archives and researches every single thing about uh, the history of Hollywood, the history of the films, the actors, the actresses, the behind-the-scenes work in the films. They do everything. It's one of, They used to have a ride, actually, at the Disney World um, called the, the Great Movie Ride. Where viewers would, um, viewers, where guests would go through the ride. First, they'd be in line. They'd actually have old movie props from classic movies alongside showing classic Dude, posters. That'd be so fun. I know. It was so, I went on the ride. It was so cool. Oh, and wait. It's still there? Not anymore, unfortunately. Oh, dang it. But um, and then, basically, you'd go on this ride, and you'd have a, tu- a tour guide who would take you through these uh, sets. Like, classic, like, animatronic. Well, not like, not like actual movie sets, but actually animatronic sets that's showing um of classic movies from alien to mary poppins to oh, wow. to like um other gone with the wind all these classic movies and what they used to do oh wizard of oz and what they used to do too is um if you're on the back of the car a show would be two different shows to play in the back of the carts and then the front of the carts so all of a sudden you see like your set and all of a sudden I say a gangster just comes out of the 1930s and stuff, pistols blazing at a police officer and stuff, and running across the stage and everything as you're traveling across. It, and there's actual people doing it, and it's it was a really thrilling ride. So this is like this is like uh, the great weakness of film geeks and history nerds. Yes, <laughs> but unfortunately the ride closed because Disney wanted to update their stuff and they replaced it with the Mickey Mouse ride. Oh. So, I mean uh, that makes sense, but at the same time. History. <laughs> but, and even they had one of the hosts uh, who represented the movies before it. You said it was Disney World or Disneyland? World. Oh, Walt okay. Disney World. I don't know if um, Disneyland had it or not. I I'm don't not think sure. they did. I don't think so either, because this was in Hollywood Studios yeah. and Disney World. I've been to Disneyland. I, I went over a lot of places in that park, and I don't think they have it. I'm pretty sure you would have gone on that ride anyway um, if there was. <laughs> Unless it was in California Adventures, in which case, then maybe I missed it because I didn't go there. Maybe. 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 I'm not for sure. They could have replaced it with the Mickey Mouse ride, too. Yeah. 
But anyways, Turner Classic Movies is one of the highest representatives in filming. I would like for especially for film historians, they do a really good job. And I've recently purchased a book called Dark City: The Lost World of Film Noir. And that's where I'm going to be talking about some of my topics later. But one of the stories that caught my eye is is that the mob actually tried to extort from film companies in the late uh, in the um, actually in the 30s and 40s. I believe it was in the 40s. If I remember correctly from what I've written from what's written down here. Um, there's this guy named Willie Bioff. He was a racketeer from Chicago. Then basically he was trying to find ways. And he teamed to get more money. And he teamed up with these guys, with this gentleman named George Brown, who is head of the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees, to help the working man to make themselves rich in the process. This is a quote from the book itself. Uh, basically, they started hustling and bribing, uh, no, no, not bribing, blackmailing high officials in the, in the film industry and during the Depression. And they eventually got on to, like, they actually demanded $50,000 for payment for a lot of stuff. And they even... What year was that? Um, they don't give me a specific year. It was like early 30s. Sorry, early 30s. All right. Then continue onwards there. And from there, then, they also eventually teamed up with Frank Nitti, the enforcer, who had taken control of Chicago rackets after Capone was sent up. In other words, after he was convicted of um, uh, tax fraud. Um, again, another quote from the book. And basically what happened is when um, he, he actually helped Brown get who was the guy he teamed up with, be off tied up, tied up, teamed up with, and became um, the president of that international, of the IATSC, that International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees, and they continue basically to, basically bribe and hustle, a blackmail, I keep saying bribe, I keep mixing the two words up, um, hustle these, the, the movie execs from 20th Century Fox, Paramount, Universal, and eventually, they, um, the studio, they, they just, every studio boss basically paid off these guys for all the money they had, especially with the mob influence. And then eventually, um, in the early 40s, the, they eventually went to the police and the feds eventually nailed all the, all the people involved with this thing. And the mob was eventually tied, kicked out of what Hollywood was influenced, what they tried to influence in Hollywood. Right. And yeah, no. And they try to get back some of the money, but it just it came out in different ways. But that's what some of the extortion I was wanting to mention quick from the Hollywood itself. Another example of the Red Scare in the McCarthy era. Let me find the actor's name because they have like a, they in this book they actually have highlights of actors throughout the Hollywood history. Um, let's see if I can find him. By the way, uh, that fifty thousand dollars that they wanted. So I just did nineteen thirty three as an early nineteen thirties year. Yeah. In today's money, adjusted for inflation, that would be uh, $1,175,734.62. Yep. yep. About the money they pay actors these days. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, I'm not saying that actors are involved with the mob. I'm just saying that right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but no, one actor I wanted to mention about... You're saying that as a joke, you mean? Yes. Okay. I'm not saying they're part of the mob. No. I'm just being sarcastic and funny. Anyways... It'd be um, funny if that turned out to be true. Oh, gosh. Andrew, you predicted it. How did I know? <laughs> well, you studied a history book. Simple as that. I know. <laughs> Anyways, one of the actors I wanted to mention who got hit by the Red Scare and was blacklisted was a man named John Garfield. He was famous in a lot of film noir and tried to do, do with the major companies. Explain uh, noir films. Noir, noir films, which I'll be discussing much later, are the nitty-gritty, like... 
Cops Against Robbers, um, basically the, discovering the corruption of the police, the newspaper men, the mob, going yeah. through the nitty-gritty stuff. Basically, the hero won't make it out alive by the end of the film. It, like, it's, it's actually dark and scary and just like yeah. you don't know what's going to happen next, who's in the corner, who's in the alleyway. You never know if he's going to make it out alive. And even then, if he makes it out alive... Ian's is not going to be okay. So yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's a very, it's like mysteries, except it's without the detectives winning the day. It's actually like people bringing things down and trying other examples and making things worse. But one good example I was going to talk about was an actor named John Garfield. He was very popular in the noir films of the 30s, and as I mentioned previously. And... He did a lot of those type of films where it was just kind of just doing all sorts of stuff like Out of the Fog and The Fallen Sparrow. It was basically starting with moral ambiguity in those roles, in right, those films. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. So noir films have moral ambiguity. Like, even yes. though you're giving being given who the good guy is, you're not entirely sure he's the good guy. Yeah, exactly. Or just like... Because of all the corruption. Like, he's willing to look turn aside. Like, he's willing to fool around. He's willing to drink. He's willing to do all this type of stuff. But he's, he's not... Willing, he's willing to allow little corruption in order to stop big corruption. Yes. And he's also... But he's not willing to do all the other evil things. I see. That's why... That's why that became such a popular genre for film. Because yeah. there's more ambiguity all around. Or the character also is just... Sometimes they even focus the hero as the... He's kind of an anti-hero. Yeah, almost. moral ambiguity guy who actually wants to take over certain things or whatever, or fight right. against the mob and all that jazz. There's a variety of options. Right. But anyways, he eventually, when he was labeled red by the McCarthy trials and everything, the Red Scare, Warner Brothers, who he was contracted under, dropped him mm. completely. And he started doing independent work, trying to do independent movies and everything. Um... Basically, what happened, he started off in two movies, which are considered noir classics. Um, he ran all the way, which basically discusses about how he tries to get start off with petty crime. Then he does a big mistake of shooting a cop and tries to get away with it and stuff like that. He can't even run away from it all. Um, then he accidentally, then he like um, goes to this one person's house, falls in love with this lady, but then at the same time holds them all hostage and stuff, and just escalates. Basically, it gets more and worse gotcha. and worse. And, no, and then the last movie he did was, let's see, where is it? Um, so he does bad stuff, but he's plagued by a moral conscience. Yes. Well, sort of. Sort of. It's, it's kind of like he doesn't want this, but he's doing it because of it and that type of stuff. Interesting. But the other one he was famous for was The Breaking Point. Where he start, where he start with a smuggler, but things are going terribly wrong. And a smuggler for drugs or just smuggling schemes? They say in the book. Okay. Um, basically, what they did was um, tried to basically give more roles to what he had, and tried actually actually was based on a Hemingway story, if you can believe it. And it was trying to turn into well, trying to get away from all the law and everything, kind of an intense drag and forth everything, which is again is one of the themes of noir. Nice. But once Garfield was classified as a com affiliated to the commies, um, basically he was invited to testify for anyone who's a commie in the courts. But here's the thing. He had never traveled. Um, he aided the war effort on the home front a lot during the war. He aided the war front okay. on the front. I thought for a second you hate, he said he hated. No, aided. Aided, yeah. Okay. He aid, aided the war front on the home home lines. And eventually, because of it, 
productions and stuff when dead. He eventually went to the theater, back to where he started, because a lot of actors started from the theater. Right. And and as I mean theater, I mean the stage, like plays, musicals, that yeah. type of stuff. Josh Gad, modern example, he started in musicals. Exactly. And that explains why he can sing so well. Right. Unfortunately though, he died of a heart attack at the age of thirty nine. Ooh. What and, year? Um, they don't say again. Uh, there's weird. some details they don't give me, but um yeah, he started doing a lot of stuff around the 30s and stuff. and But, yeah, no. From there, um, another example I was going to highlight. Now, for those who have seen It's a Wonderful Life, um, that movie is one of the most iconic movies of the day. Back then, it wasn't that much of a success, but nowadays everybody considers it like the one of the ultimate classics. Well, there was an Sorry, actress. Which film? Uh, it's a Wonderful Life. Oh, yeah. But there was an actress named Gloria Graham. And one of the things, unfortunately, about her as a star, she was very much an actress who was casted for her beauty, her charm, her seductive looks. And by the time age got older, now it wasn't more of a sexual abuse type of thing, as I thought it was, but it was more of like she was just befallen by changing of Hollywood. As she got older, people started like, ugh, let's finally exactly. focus on someone younger. Let's yeah, focus exactly. on do this. Yeah, they always want young and beautiful. And they want something else. She actually tried to do so many other things, but also didn't help that she went, because of all of it, she went into scandals um, with a lot of things. Yep. Um, one scandal was, is, uh, let's see here, um, she actually had <clears throat> a sexual relation with a guy named Anthony Ray, who was 13. <clears throat> oh, my. And she actually married him later in life. Um, yeah. yeah. And. Just like we talked about sexual abuse. Yeah. And by the time of the 70s. Or just bad relations in general. Eventually by the 70s she was just casted as the, the very C movie, B movie looks of like tattered oh, yeah. clothes. The, the sexy woman who's in danger of monsters and stuff of horror movies right. and stuff. And so kind of was cast in forgettable movies. Yes. And then eventually, um, she died at the age of 56 with cancer oh. in the end. It was only a very, 56. Yeah, only 56. Oh. But one more thing I wanted to mention about corruption in Hollywood was about a writer. Now, let's see if I can find it. It's always the writers. Unfortunately. They're trying to, they're trying to give us a bad name, Andrew. I know. This is sad, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's just like two of Christopher Nolan's films. The bad guy is a writer. I know, right? His earlier films, I mean. Yeah. So, this guy was the name of Leonard Heidemann. He was a guy who made a few successful movies, did great, was excellent, got married, had a life, got everything else, did some TV stuff, all that cool jazz. Um, they had two sons. In the 60s, however, he had some financial problems, and he had a raging argument with his wife, and in the end, uh, he stabbed her. Oh. And he was declared illegally insane, legally insane and, and could not stand trial, and he was committed to the state asylum. However, 14 months later, he was released to be cured of that sanity. And what happened was, is that he went under the name Lawrence Heath, and he went to started working on television again, and he wrote for shows like Mission Impossible, uh, Mannix, Hawaii Five-0, Dynasty. The originals. The originals, yeah. And Murder, She Wrote, from the 80s. Oh, my. And he even wrote a book about an autobiography called By Reason of Insanity, Recounting what his mental breakdown that led to his uh, killing of his wife. Wow. And he lived until 20, 2007 at 78 when he committed suicide. Oh, my. Yeah. 
he literally was, and he wasn't even convicted of murder. He literally was doing all, like, he did all this stuff, and he lived a life, and yeah. And my, the writer of this book afterwards says, you want noir? noir? That's noir. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but just reading that, like, I read it for the first time when I was researching it, my mouth just dropped. I was like... Moral corruption and moral ambiguity. Yep. Two of, two of a kind. Exactly. But that's what I wanted to discuss with that. But now we're going to go back to my next point of what I was going to be discussing. And that is, well, why I talked about the history of Hollywood, I'm going to talk about the history of movies. Yeah. Now, I unfortunately am not for certain what the very first theatrical film was. But I remember right. in my introduction to film course, one of the earliest films ever made, which is kind of a 20-minute film segment thing right. that was released in a theater, was The Great Train Robbery, which has been remade, remastered, re-sequel. I don't know if they made sequels, but there's been so many movies related to this original 20-minute feature. It's incredible how much of a legacy it has. And it was just a simple premise. Robbers robbing a train. Train robbery. Right. But what really caught people off guard, it was the last 20 seconds of the film. No, 10 seconds of the film. I think some of the robbers get killed in the movie. It's been a while since I've seen it. I remember watching it in my class in college. But, like, I think they catch some of the robbers, they get killed, and then the last 10 seconds, one of the robbers is looking at the camera and shoots, scaring the whole audience when they first see it. Oh, he shoots at the camera? Yeah, at the camera, breaking oh. the fourth wall. Scared everybody to death when they oh saw it. Oh, my goodness. They thought it was actually going to happen. Cl- that's clever. Uh-huh. And it caught everybody off guard. But that's also the magic of movie making, because right. you never know what was going to happen. But anyways, from then on, White mentioned that there was a silence, which was, yes, back in the day... There was no soundtracks. There was no... Well, there um, was music. Well, just... not, in during the, not inside the film itself, like oh. when you're watching the movie. There were no soundtracks you could play that would be... There's nothing you could hear while the, when the film was going. You would see there would be people outside of the... While the movie's playing, the film's playing, you'd have a, an orchestra or a piano player playing the music to get the, set the tone for the scene. And there would always be like... And instead of people hearing people talk, you would see their mouse move. And then all of a sudden the scene would change to what they said and then to go back. And it was basically that for from the early 1900s all the way to the late – actually, I'll probably wager probably to the early 1930s, maybe late 1920s. Because in 1927, the first talkie came out and that was The Jazz Theater starring Al Jolson. Right. Um, no one – had heard anything like that before, where somebody actually sang inside a theater. And honestly, the scene... Or spoke, even. Or spoke, yeah. And it just, they were just, it mesmerized people. It just captured the audience's imagination. And from then on, they wanted more talking films. Yep. So companies had to do that. But what is interesting about, well, no, I'll talk about that later. That's for something else entirely. Yeah. But anyways, um, but the talkies just became huge. And with that, now, in the 20s and 30s, the genre of film was... Everything westerns, musicals, horror was kind of gaining its setting ground. There was there was some horrors in the thirties, like the original Dracula and Frankenstein, but they weren't as big. I think no, they, they were. Well, big, they were big, but, but they were not the horror was not a big genre. So but they speak. weren't the original horror movies, though. Um, but anyways, um, they that's what I was going to get to. Right. Uh, but also the musicals. But the original Frankenstein from the thirties was the original Frankenstein. Yes, it was, but like not the original horror movies. Type thing, monster horror films. Oh, so they weren't the first horror films. No. Okay. There's a few others before that. Gotcha. But anyways, um, there's also like musicals, westerns. Now, musicals began to take place hugely in the 20s and 30s, which I'll be discussing a few in a second. But actually, no, that'll be actually the next best thing to talk about. Musicals were huge, especially by MGM Studios, 
who captured... It's the one with the lion that roars. Yeah. Yeah. All the way through, yeah. Yeah. Um, They started movies in 1929 with the Broadway Melody, then Hallelujah, Marianne. So this is college. The Hollywood Review of 1929. It's a great life. Devil Devil May Care. And then that was all in 1929. All musicals. And, and everything else that was involved. And they just kept making musicals from Chasing Rainbows, Lord Byron of Broadway, Montana Moon, Free and Easy, uh, The Rogue Son, and Children of Pleasure, Gay of Madrid. It just kept continuing and continuing. And it just, again, it was just these big set pieces of music and stuff that just kept carrying on and on through all the other, uh, basically they just captured people's, basically like when you were in an actual theatrical production of a play or a musical, it was just there. And that's what really blew people away. But alongside that, with musicals being very popular with that time frame, noir began to take place, especially in the 30s. In the 1930s, there were so many films that had a lot of categories, I would say, with noir. There was the usual... There was certain films like... Let's see. I'm trying to find one of them I remember looking at in the book. Let's see. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, let's see, was this it? No, that's not it. The Sleeping City. It was a film about, um, let's see, no, that's not The Sleeping City. Where is it? Oh, well, there was a Sleeping City, which involved, this is actually a different film, which involved a, um, a a guy who's, um, he's been known to, He's been known to kill a lot of doctors. Oh. And he basically... And this is the what film again? The Sleeping City. The Sleeping... Oh. And sure. basically it deals with a nurse who's on the night shift of a hospital dealing with this guy who's doing this, who he's fallen in love with the nurse, but also figuring out about stuff about a drug smuggling ring. And which it ties into all that as well. But what's really interesting though too is some of these noir films were so gutsy, so out there. Because back then the... Um, what was the word I'm looking for? Oh, they prefer family friendly or, you know, they wanted uh censorship. Censorship, censorship was yeah. not completely there yet in the thirties right. and forties. There was stuff they could easily show if they wanted to. Um, but they, the mayor of New York pressured universal to make sure they put a prologue. This is not what happens in New York city at, at the start right. of the film before it's even started. Oh, interesting. Start of the film before it even started. My grammar people. Um, and then another one. Let's see. There was also a, a disaster movie about called 14 Hours and about a guy who's considering himself to jump. He wa- Basically, he's wanting to do suicide. Um, but what happens, though, in this movie is not only do they focus on the jumper, they focus on every single person involved who are watching the jump, who are seeing this stuff. Oh. Like, two people meet for the very first time, fall in love. There's people who are considering different choices in life. That goes this. Um, like a wife filing for divorce and then the attorney's office across the street sees the guy and is inspired to reconcile with her husband. Mm. Um, basically just showing all this stuff while also making it, the landscape so dark and sinister, making it so gloomy and depressing. Ori- the original landing involved this, the man jumping and oh. getting killed. However. Because of censorship. Yes. That's when it premiered. No, no, actually it wasn't censorship actually. They oh. actually were willing to release it. But that was actually what the audience saw when the film first premiered. But... Uh, according to the book, that very day in New York, the daughter of 20th Century Fox executive Spyro Skouris killed herself, leaving from the 8th floor of the Bellevue Hospital. Uh, devastated, Skouris pulled 14 hours from theaters. Resourceful uh, studio chief Daryl F. Zanuck sounded up, rounded up some actors and a skeleton crew, 
They based hard down among them. I'm assuming that was the director. I, I don't remember that part. And Rishad knew anywhere. Um, Cossack, the character, at the last moment, is whisked to safety. Right. But, yeah, no, it was supposed to be, um, like, when, um, like, the final shot showed a sanitation truck moving like a lethargic antibody, washes away Cossack's splattered remains as the budding lovers walk oh, past arm in arm. That was the original ending. Oh, my gosh, that is dark. It is dark, and that's what noir is. It's something that you guys... So the original Frankenstein film, they actually had a scene where uh, the creature kills a, a girl, not intentionally, but he throws her yeah. in the river and that drowns her. But for the original theatrical release, they just decide they cut uh, that part, part of that out because I'm guessing due to censorship or because of they were concerned. It was about too it. frightening because of the child dying. Right. And I of course, frightening. they <laughs> did show the child in the, in the father's arms later, but like they didn't show the actual death. So the original audiences. Yeah. It was later, uh, later that death was added back into the original. Film. Yeah. Like much like modern 21st century, late 20th actually, century. Actually, no, I think it was in the 20th century. They, oh, yeah? yeah. I think it was actually only like a couple decades afterwards. Okay. Yeah. But, it was, um, yeah, sometime later they basically put that death scene back in. But yeah, you can imagine how sensitive people would be to the death of a child in a film. Right. Especially back then. But then they showed movies about corruption, the gangster's corruption. Right. How, like, there's one called uh, I Walk Alone. How two guys who, basically they were describing how corruption could be at the top level, like of a newspaper company or of something else. Interesting. And they tried to file those ideas into a film where it just made it more evil. Um, for example, there's a film called I Walk Alone, which I just mentioned, starring by Burt Lancaster and Kirk Douglas, famous movie stars that lasted like all the way to the 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, then they were basically, they owned a speakeasy, and eventually one, both of them got the separates, but they made a vow if they got famous and rich, they would change the, they would help the other person. Right. However, when, they, when, they, when the one guy gets caught, played by Burt Lancaster, he... Um, finds out that the other guy gets the high life because of corruption he did in the mob and now he's a high high rolling player in a club. This is a film, right? Yes, this is okay. a film. No, no, like I thought you were actually describing two people in Hollywood. No. No, no I'm just telling the character actors' okay. names because I don't really know the characters' names too much well. Alright. Um and basically he's trying to get his profit back. But Kirk Douglas's character just like ditches him and I think at the end of it like it basically, the film just comes of him trying to get the money back and trying to deal with him and stuff and just get rid of him. Just that sinister vibe of, like, I want what I want is mine and stuff. And then there are other films, like, I think it was, let's see, was this? Nope, wrong one. I think it was, the no, no, no. Let's see. Let's see, no, let's see. One was a boxing film. Body and Soul? I don't think so. Let's see. This was Body and Soul. Body and Soul is about... Let's see. I'm just trying to make sure I have all my facts straight. <laughs> Alright. So this is also talking about the corruption in the boxing rings. Talking about how um, how the mob controls the boxing. Like you've seen that in film films too. like um, uh, Or TV shows like Daredevil. Or like... Um, like there was in, there's some I don't there was a movie I know I just can't remember what it was involving like illegal like gambling and boxing and stuff and this movie is about a guy who how like there's no way to clean out the corruption it's just there like right. these are movies that describe like hey this is already here you can't right. clean this up but like one of the stories is how this guy's trying to box and 
by the end of it, um, they, he just tried to realize the corruption that he has, and he has got to get out of here. Another movie is called The Setup, where a guy who's been praying, praying, fighting against um, possible odds, keeps getting beat up and stuff, loses fights all the time, and he because that's what the mob wants him to do. By the end of the movie, however, he decides he wants to have the victory, and he does. But by the end of it, well, let's just say he uh, doesn't live in an He goes to an alley and doesn't stay living. Yeah. Um, but just, again, it's just that, that the disease, the sickness of what the noir films tried to establish. There are even corruptive cop movies, too, where they tried to show the force, like just showing like um, the ambiguity, like I'm willing to just go this far to get right. you and stuff. Or just like trying to, or even just corrupt cops trying to actually break the laws. Like there's one movie where one guy kill, sleeps with another with another guy's wife so then because the wife is lonely, but then kills the guy, her husband, and uh, so that she can have a better life and then finds out that because of their foolishness, she's pregnant and she has, they have to go on the run and stuff to hide from all this and she's very reluctant and stuff, but this guy's willing to do anything so no one can find out what he did. Right. And then that's just an example of like another fool who met a foolish end. Right. And there's even the femme fatale. Do you know what that is, Wyatt? I, I've heard it used before, but I can't remember. Femme fatale is one where basically it's a, a female assassin or a female killer. Um, femme fatales are famous in noir films, especially in one movie called, um, what was it? Double Indemnity, I think it was called? Or, let's see. No... Basically, there were some noir films where there were females who were the focus of the film, but they were the villains. Right. And they they easily oh, manipulated guys yeah. to do what they wanted. That's where, ironically, I heard that femme fatale, I heard it in the film Over the Hedge. Not, <laughs> not even kidding. Nice. Yeah. But, no, I was just showing how women can be corruptive and everything else. Double indemnity, that was it. Basically, a woman tried to ta manipulate this guy to kill her husband and everything. That was the whole plot of the film. Right. And I think that one starred, ironically, Bette Davis, who we talked about a few minutes ago. Yeah. And that was one of the most popular noir films to this day. I still haven't seen it, but my, my pastor's talk, pastor talked about it, and he's like, dude, that was a dark, dark movie. Yeah. Um, another famous one was called Sunset Boulevard. If that is a perfect description of a noir film because the opening shot shows a guy dead in the pool. I think and I've I've heard of that film. That was very popular film. Yeah. But that was more toward the 60s, I believe, like 50s, 60s era. Okay. But it was a noir film that was establishing but that But still factor. kind of embodying that 30s, 40s, 50s yeah. classic noir. Because the, they also, in that movie, talked about the sexual abuse of actresses and stuff in that film, the manipulation. Oh, interesting. But also how one woman is brought to certain circumstances and stuff. Right. And like, also, like there are even noir films where... There are films where they just go, the opening scene is like you see a dead guy and he just goes, so this is how I died. It all began on this time of day and Interesting. stuff. But that's, Noir was one of the most famous in the 30s and 40s because it just kept just growing, showing the grittiness and the disgustingness of everything, even going into the 50s. Um, but what also was happening was the certain films that were getting caught up by Hoover, Herbert Hoover and all these other guys. He's like, hey, we don't need to see this. We need to see police officers on the good side of the law. Right. And, and we, we want to see the good guys win. We want to see, yes. you know, moral integrity. Which some directors were just like, because, you know, when you people invade your film or story, you really don't want them to invade. That's just rude. Right. 
And wait, that, Herbert Hoover, like when he was president, or after? sorry, not Herbert Hoover. I'm not uh, J. Edgar Hoover. J. Edgar Hoover, okay. not Herbert Hoover. J. Edgar Hoover. <laughs> the FBI they got involved with certain certain films to make sure they can t- detail. Hey, the police are actually good. Some directors they, hate that. They, and they uh, didn't want. I'm guessing they just didn't want all cops to be portrayed as bad guys. Yes, part of it. Yeah. yeah. So that was one other thing that was taking place with the kind of like influencing of Hollywood of uh, the films is like, hey, do this. No, I don't want to do that. Don't do this. I don't want to do that. Exactly. Yeah. So that's the noir topic. Now. Westerns were just starting to get their footing. They had a lot of big ones, including a rising star named John Wayne in the mm-hmm. 30s. Um, but him and Westerns we'll get to on part two. But Oh, because that's not until like the 60s, I'm guessing. 50s, 60s era was when we got more I mean, we're kind of, we're still discussing 50s. But... Like, yeah, but a little bit. Like, half of it, basically, is what okay, I'm thinking of. Okay, gotcha. I would like to talk more about the 50s in part two as well. All right, but fair enough. The Western was still finding its footing. They had a lot of high-profile films. Mostly were kind of B-movies and stuff, but there were a few like directed by a legendary director, John Ford, like Stagecoach. It would also be uh, criminal of us not to mention the films in, in these decades that were book adaptations. Oh, yes, that's Especially fair. in the 1930s. I mean, you had um, Frankenstein. Prince Drac- of the Popper. Dracula. Dracula. Uh, what other is there? I the don't, Wolfman, which I was think it, was a Wizard of story. Oz a book adaptation? Yes, it was. Yeah. Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Which was actually the first, one of the first movies in color in animation as well. Right, yeah. First feature-length film in the 30s. Gone with the Wind, which is considered one of the best films ever made. Yes. Especially with, and considered to have one of the most classic lines in cinema, uh, the line, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Yep. And no, that one actually was a huge box office success because they kept playing that in theaters during the Depression. Oh, um, it was, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's, I think part of why there was also... What's interesting is about the story of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde had a 30s adaptation and a 40s adaptation. Oh, yeah. yeah. Prince of the Popper had numerous adaptations. Robin Hood had numerous adaptations. Oh, yeah. Zorro. And isn't, like, didn't you say that, like, the wasn't it, didn't it come out in the 40s, the Robin Hood, the original? Um, the original Robin, there were some silent films in the 20s. Okay. One of the biggest but ones. The first, but the first one that was in sound was, like, 40s, right? 30s, actually. 30s, okay. The Adventures of Robin Hood starring Errol Flynn, Basil Rathbone, and Olivia de Havilland. Um, very good movie. Uh, Errol Flynn, though, I would really like to punch in the mouth sometime. Um, anyways, anyways, um, but the, the, also the other thing that came in the thirties and forties was the serial film. Now, serial film or these snippets of films, they're adventure films, like just like adventure, finding a treasured artifact or superhero films. Yes. Superhero films did exist in the thirties and twenties and forties. If you can, well, not the twenties, thirties and forties, if you can believe it, they had serials for Captain America, Batman, Superman, Oh. It all sorts of stuff. And but these weren't full-length films. They were short snippets were of adventure. like half-hour episodes of stuff. Oh. But how they did, though, was... So kind of like the early form of television series. You sort of. But sort of like a... Yes, but... More like time, a half-hour special. But, the, but yeah, with the production design of a film. Interesting. And But what they did, though, was is every half an hour, they would end on a massive cliffhanger so bad that oh. people would have to come next week just to go back and pay more tickets to see the next set, session of it. Dude, seeing films back then would have been so fun. Oh, I know. Yeah. But um, then in the 40s, the... Well, actually, no, I'm not going to the 40s just yet. Um, but then well, we... we kind of already brought up stuff in the 40s. Well, I yeah, am, but there's a main point I want to talk about oh, in the okay. 40s out of the films. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that was a huge one. Comedy was always a good, a huge one with a lot of stuff, especially Charlie Chaplin and the silent films. Yep. Um, but yeah, then, his, his silent films involved a lot of comedy. Oh yeah, and they were very much well, some of the most iconic things that set up comedy today. Right. And I do believe the in the silent films they had the iconic pie in the face with Fatty Arbuckle. Oh <laughs> and, yeah. But that's another good film reference. 
but it was kind of a hodgepodge of genres, basically. Oh, yeah. But one thing I would like to talk about with with the 40s, a.k.a. World War Two, and I would describe it with one single film, which was Holiday Inn in 1941. Oh, Holiday Inn, yeah. The great Christmas movie, but there was a scene... Uh, Bing Crosby and Fred Astaire, right? Yes. And in that movie, there was a scene about the 4th of July, and... Um, they have a whole song, really great song, by the way. But they actually show, talk about America and stuff. They see all these um, patriotic ships. Actually, footage of Franklin D- Delano Roosevelt. Um, the movie was released in 42, but the reason why I'm saying that is it's the perfect description of what the films became in the early 40s. Because, basically, they're all propaganda films. Oh. Now, there were films that came out, more monster movies like Dracula, Frankenstein, and all those. Like, there's so many sequels, it's not even funny. Oh, yeah, Dracula, there, there's, a, Werewolf, there's The Bride of Wolfman. Frankenstein. Yep, Son of Frankenstein and oh, so many. Or the I just remembered the original King Kong. Yes, oh and yes, then, in the thirties, yes. And then Son of Kong. That was the, yes, there were two big films back in the day too. Although Son of Kong wasn't as well rated. No, but the first one was very highly praised because yeah. of the gorilla and the monsters. Oh the, yeah, the, the effects the early... were actually pretty good. I mean, most of that was practical. Oh yeah, that was the early use of the classic like claymation stuff and uh, also I'm guessing the uh, what you call it, uh, the the angle thing where like. You put an actor at a certain angle to make other actors look smaller or bigger. Yeah. Force perspective is yes. what it's called. Yeah. Early version of it, yes. Yeah. But with that, though, the propaganda films and war films were very popular. From Adam Costello, Bing Crosby, Bob Hope, they did all these, Charlton Heston even, he did all, they did all these war movies, some are comedies, some are dramas. John Wayne, he could not serve in the military, if you can believe it. He actually did in the 40s, he did a lot of World War II films to support the cause. Right. Like, he um, also did stuff in the 50s and 60s. Yeah, more, but it was more westerns. More westerns than war films, though. Yeah, yeah. War, was, war films kind of were more of the... More of the historical aspect in the fifties and sixties, but right. they the war films they did like they did um, what is the movie Road to Baton? Um, that's one. Here, let me look. Is it nineteen forties war films? Type out John Wayne war films. Oh, John Wayne war films. Yeah. Okay. Let's see. Um, nineteen forty five. They were expendable. They were expendable. Uh. The Longest Day is 62. Um, yep, that's right, because yeah, he was in that one. I forgot yeah. about that. Um, um, Sanji Ujima was later, I believe. Yeah, Ujima was later. Um, I, get, I think see. most of them are actually not Let's in see. the 40s. Really? Let's check out this one really quick. Uh, Operation Pacific. Oh, that was 1951. Oh, okay. There's also The Fighting Seabees, 1944. There's that one, yep. Seabees was one. Uh, no, that's 60s. Um, yeah, I think a lot of him... We're 50s, 60s movies, but there yeah. were a few in the World War II ones. We did a lot of, just so we can support the war. The Wings of Eagles, 1957. Reunion in France, 1942. Where's Baton? Flying Leather Next. I know that was the 40s. Baton. Um, let's see. Or to Baton. Back to Baton. That was it. What year was that one? 45. Yep, so yeah. near the end of the war. And they actually used actual footage of seeing some of the U.S. soldiers. Yeah, yeah. And that was a John Ford movie. John Ford was a military soldier, and I'm hoping to have a spotlight on him one of these days, too. He's a very interesting director. Right. Another, but, another couple of uh, book adaptation films. 30s, Treasure Island. Treasure Island. Many adaptations of Treasure Island. Definitely. Including a sci-fi a re-genre make in the 2000s of yep. Treasure Planet. But of that, course. That will be for part three. Yes. Yeah. But then um, I was also going to talk about the earliest monster movies. So before Dracula, before Frankenstein, there was there were quite a few of them in the 20s. Um, a few of these were all starred one man named Lu- Luan Chaney, who was in the, kind of the early days of horror before um, Vincent Price or um, who voiced the Grinch? Um, 
who voiced the Grinch? I'm trying to remember the cartoon, the original. Um, oh, yeah. Who? I remember him. He was a ma- another master of horror. Um, oh, gosh. Boris Karloff. That was it. Original movie. Boris Karloff was the voice of the Grinch. And he was the other monster maker, too. Uh, who was it? I'm just double-checking. Yeah, go ahead. Um, it was Boris Karloff. Yep, you're yep. right. Now, um, but Lon Chaney was known as the master of masks and disguises and stuff for his mm-hmm. acting roles. He was known for adaptation of Hunchback of Notre Dame, where he played Quasimodo. Interesting. He, horf- according to this book... Another book, book adaptation film. Yes. And so this is from a book called uh, Immortals of the Screen, compiled and edited by Ray Stewart. Ray Stewart was a uh, stunt du- stuntman for adventure and western movies, and he's retired and has a overwhelming number of filing cabinets bulging with photographs of virtually every star. Mm. Um, anyways... Hunchback of Notre Dame, he's terrified the nation of his part as Quasimodo, and then he did a version of another adaptation of The Phantom of the Opera, the original, not the one that came out in the 2000s, right. where he played the Phantom itself. Um, one, it's one of the most iconic movies because it's known for how terrifying he looks when the woman takes off the mask for the very first time. Oh, yeah, she takes it. Yeah, that is considered one of the... That's considered a very prominent like scene because of that effect. It wasn't even like... I think it had something... There were guys on YouTube who examined this with a special effects like um, uh, expert, and they said it was actually just something they did with the lens of the camera and I think her makeup. Yeah. Basically, they had a couple different colors or shades on the lens. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's him as Quasimodo? No, no, no. That's him as the Phantom. Oh, gosh. That's yeah. creepy. And it was so that up- was the original Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, it was an up-close look. It was silent film. But it was silent an up-close look. Of his face Imagine and stuff. Imagine watching a film like that in silent. That's just creepy. Well, they have the music in the background, of course, the piano. And that the makes it worse. <laughs> yeah, I know. And then there was also London After Midnight, a film which I'm, which I'm sad to say has been lost and burned with many things. There's no copy of it that can exist except Dang. for photographic photos. Right. Which, uh, if I want to get on my soapbox, I will probably buy part three, but that's another story. Um, right. Uh, but that one was another terrifying part where he played a mad hypnotist with horrible makeup, which included infinite innovation of filed teeth like this um why it's seen it guys it's like a kind of a terrifying oh. dr jekyll i would say yeah a more terrifying dr jekyll like the 30s and 40s version of the dr jekyll was not as terrifying as that yeah it was it was just enough uh makeup to make him look a little creepy yeah or different yeah but then Whereas other... that that's like full-on like yeah complete different person almost oh yeah but the other two other examples of orally horror there was a smiling man um, which was actually inspiration for the Joker, if you can believe it, in the comics. Honestly, uh, honestly, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. What's funny about the, uh, uh, what's funny about the Joker is that he wasn't, he was more of a prankster at first in the comics and in the original. Still TV. terror to frets, but not like a murderous still, beast. Still a threat, but not, not like a murderous beast. Not a terrifying, psychotic, crazy person. Like in the we did Who also did have, who also may have was clever at times. Yeah. Yeah. But, um... But yeah, the smiling man, Grant, that was more of a drama, but the smile thing terrified a lot of people. Oh, I'm like, sure. It was a it's, look that was like... I'm sure it was... I'm sure, yeah, it's considered by some... Even though it's technically drama, it's probably viewed as horror. Yeah. Maybe. But then um, also there was the mystery genre that came out, a lot of Sherlock Holmes adaptations, a lot yep. of... A lot, a lot of Mr. Moto and Charlie Chan. probably some of the most adaptations in the film. Oh, yeah. Especially famously done by Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce, which are some of my closest heart because they're some of the best movies ever. Which also leads me to what I was going to talk about lastly was the, the A movie and the B movie. 
And A Movie was a film that had massive sets, massive right. cast, multiple things, music, soundtrack. Basically, f- movie companies tossed everything at it for it to make right. a, a big movie. The B Movie was smaller sets, smaller costume design, right. more either propaganda films, which became more of like the Sherlock Holmes movies, or a lot of detective films in the 40s. Just smaller film out of smaller films to be released in theaters. Um, so some would say it's kind of like um, your directed DVD or directed video films these days. If that's how I would compare it to. Whereas the quality was still good, was good then. Whereas the but still a little diminished. Where but the quality was still really good. Or like for and like granted some directed DVD directed video um, films are kind of not the best, but there's some that were really good. But they're also just it kind of held this. It was just this. It was fewer thing, fewer less. They had less money compared to the bigger blockbuster films of the day, um, bigger budget than anything else. Um, I could also say it's kind of like direct to streaming. <laughs> I just had a streaming just for fun. Yeah. Um, just also a joke at the same time. I do watch those movies, but I also am serious at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, but um, basically, they were just they were categories in the forties that was a huge. Right. That still brought them in money, but it was just they were just smaller quality compared to the bigger films they were planning. Right. Um, and then lastly, the fifties, which I'm going to be doing partial on, so I can part two. I like to continue discussing it. Was kind of the dawn of musicals, where they reigned supreme. This is where the genre started to take a bigger emphasis on film, and the musicals really took place then. One of the most famous, uh, obviously, would always be Singing in the Rain," starring Gene Kelly. And um, Gene Kelly, Donald the, O'Connor, the actress who is the mother of no, no, no. Gene Kelly is oh. the guy. Gene Kelly's oh, the sorry. guy. Donald I O'Connor and Debbie Reynolds. Debbie Reynolds is the mother of the of Princess Leia. Carrie Fisher. Yeah. Carrie Fisher. Sorry. That's okay. I wanted to make sure. I was like, no, no, Gene's a guy. Gene's a guy. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, th- I honestly thought it was the female. Yeah. No, Debbie Reynolds. I remember for some reason I wanted to jump and I think I just wanted to jump and name that fact. Up. That's all good. It's yeah. all right. But musicals did have a huge impact in the '40s and also. Singing in the Rain mentions the jazz singer. Well, the Singing in the Rain not only is it a classic musical, like one of the greatest of all time, but it's also a great history piece. Right. Talking about the 20s. Because back in, now, I'd have to fact, examine the facts to make sure it's true. Right. But there are actors who had to learn how to talk and just like, because like actually talk and act in a theater, right. especially those who weren't trained in theater productions. Right. And that movie was kind of a stepping stone for musicals. Like, again, the 40s had musicals. Fred Astaire, Bing Crosby, all these movies, Bob Hope. But the 50s were what set up huge bespectacle musicals, especially Seeing in the right. Rain. And the, what's also really cool about Seeing in the Rain is that some of the songs, there's a, remember the montage scene, Wyatt, where they do all those segments of songs or whatever, like um, the different segments of different scenes from multiple movies at once. And then um, I think so, yeah. it transitions to the Beautiful Girls song. Oh, yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah, those were segments from the original MGM 1920s musicals, 1920s, 1930s musicals. Um, they kind of a bringing in back the, what the history was of those things 20 years, so 30 years before. It's not only a great original piece, but it's also a historical piece on Hollywood uh, movies. And, uh, and how much it changed around that time frame. Interesting. So I guess there's a lot more to Singing in the Rain than just uh, being a simple musical involving a love story. Yeah, exactly. It was, it was really cool. Again, I need to fact check my stuff. I want to see how accurate it is with the history behind it. But, but with that, though, just kind Either of... Either way, it sounds pretty cool. Oh, yeah, very much so. But this is what kickstarted the 
multiple genres that were to come. Right. Uh, like each decade has always had like a certain genre that reigns supreme right. in everything. And that's what kind of kickstarted that trend, which I know we'll be happily discussing in, in part two and part right. three. But that's some of my movie examples I have. Obviously, I'll probably call back to some stuff in part, the next two parts. But yeah, no. If there's any movies I forgot to mention or any genres I forgot to mention, please and, let me know on our social media sites. <laughs> but um, before we end on today, anything you want to talk about with regards to Citizen Kane or Casablanca about those Oh, films? yes. Those two are considered masterpieces right. uh, all the way through. Casablanca is one of my favorites. Now, Citizen Kane took me a minute to like. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. That one took me a minute. Like, it wasn't the sayings of everything. It was more of a heart issue, I'd say. Like, a guy is being surrounded by all that... Ooh, I don't want to spoil it. Oh. Um, just the way that guy oh, lived. Supposed to, oh, the way he lived. The and, way he lived. Yeah. It just, it it's a great movie to examine yourself at. Just, like, how can you see this guy... Like, not everything about him. Like, he was a very rambunctious man. But everything that... Certain aspects of what he did, how can you look at that in your own life, you know? Right. Um, and, yeah, obviously it's a work of fiction, but it is a moving and compelling piece of film and i highly regard it as one of the best movies of all time and without a shadow of a doubt i freaking enjoy that movie <laughs> right and then there's casablanca which is about a man helping uh, uh a couple i believe right escape yes uh, not nazi, with plans nazi tyrants and they're in spain right no, no. um casablanca is in africa oh i believe no. um it's not in egypt i think it's in uh you're not sure which country no, it's in Africa. But well, it's, well, Africa's the continent. Province, yeah. Yeah, it's no country, yes. I mean, it's either Egypt or it's it's one of the topper countries. I'm it's one to of the upper nations. Yeah, upper nations, yeah. Makes sense because there were World War II campaigns in North Africa. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, but that one is a masterpiece by the set design, the actors, the the drama. And that was a hugely patriotic film, too, set during the during the World War II. But that was an A movie. That was the big set oh. piece. That was Humphrey Bogart, man, doing right. his thing and... It was, uh, that is still one of the best movies too I've ever seen. Um, obviously, I like a lot of movies, but these ones I hold in high regard. Like, these are movies like I can quote, I can take a look at, and they're just still there's watch also, again. There's also It's a Wonderful Life from uh, the 40s, which ironically is reflecting on the Great Depression, which only happened 10 years prior. And also the Roaring Twenties and also other stuff. Granted, not right. as much, but like it was still highlight all the aspects of it. Right, and, exactly. And the war and stuff. It, it was a brief history map of everything, which exactly. is really cool. Yeah. Which also, again, sometime we need to do an episode on Frank Capra, who directed that movie, because he has a lot of good films. Nice. Um, but yes, no, that was... But back then, though, that movie didn't was not a huge success. It actually did not come out. It actually was not... A huge We're, success to much yeah. until the reruns on television much later. Right. It didn't become popular or like a cult classic, you could say, until later. It was so bad to the point that Jimmy Stewart actually said he did not want to work with Donna Reed ever again. Oh, wow. Yeah. Was that the actress he worked with? Yeah, he played his wife, yeah. Oh. Which is a bummer because they had great chemistry. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that's a good one. And uh, also in 1946, It's a Wonderful... No, it's a Wonderful Life. Miracle on 34th Street came out. Oh, Is there 46 yeah. or 47? But that movie was out for a full year because of how popular that movie was and yeah well based on the marketing of that movie they didn't even market it as a christmas movie they just like they like the whole trailer was literally the fox executive looking arguing about the movie and stuff like that until finally seeing the film and like we didn't put all these descriptions on they didn't they only showed snippets of the film no one knew what the freak this movie was oh even the poster didn't highlight showed snippets of santa claus but they didn't say who he was right but anyways that's another fun topic to talk about but yeah 
Now that's my list of movies. I'll definitely be bringing up some more. And again, on social media sites, please let me know if I missed anything. I would love to know. When you said you were going to discuss films, I didn't realize you were this passionate about them. Oh, you did too. You know it. (laughs) No, I didn't. Well, I knew you were passionate about them. I'm like, dang, I didn't know your wellspring of knowledge was so big on these. Well, yeah, no, I love fun facts. So I love, especially all the movies. I looked up tons of facts on movies and like... Have you guys ever seen Hello Dolly? Have you ever seen Hello Dolly White? Judy, um, not Judy Garland. Um, Robert Streisand, Walter Matthau. I haven't seen the original, but I've watched the musical version of it. The movie's great, especially with Louis Armstrong's appearance. It's so good. Yeah. But those two actors who played the love interest, they hated each other's guts. Oh. And they literally had... Wait, the two, the guys hated each other's guts? No, no, no. I'm, um, or their female counterparts. Barbara Streisand and Walter Matthau, who played Dolly and... Um, the lead male. The lead male. They hate each other's guts, and they're supposed to be love interests. They're, like, here's the even thing. Like, the last scene where they're supposed to be kissing, they actually struck an angle where it makes it look like they're kissing, and they're not. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it was... Uh, it was. They hate each other's guts, and they, like, got into so many fights, but they made the movie. <laughs> they made it. But, yeah. No, I'm very passionate about movies, especially the history of them. Especially for the defense that movies should still survive in some way, shape, or form. That's why I'm hugely passionate about DVDs and Blu-rays still and, right. and everything else. I but. doubt they're going to get rid of those because like no, yeah. al- there always is, I think, going to be a way you can have a physical copy because those are still widely... Oh, yeah, but they're starting to get picky and choosy on which ones they want to put out. That's true. Unfortunately, but... But yeah, no, so that's my viewpoint for movies right now. So part two, Wyatt, we're going to be talking about the 60s and 70s, right? 60s, 70s, and 80s. And 80s. See, that's right, because nineties part three is 90s to the present. If you think about it, the 60s are really like the beginning of a new era for Hollywood. It in is. In terms of style, genre. Well, Silver Age. 50s started the Silver Age and then kind of continued forward from yeah. there. And then 80s was like also kind of a shift also. Yeah. Well, so was the 70s. 70s was a big experimental stage right it was yeah oh yes and uh, before i forget the earliest horror movie though i know that was out there i've read this one fact was nostrafu a german film that came out that was the earliest horror film ever made what year i think it was the early 30s if i remember correctly um okay they're actually doing a remake on that one too um Mm. but yes no so that was my last fact anyways um but yeah no Anyways, that was all my movie facts. Um, the 70s, 60s, 70s, I'm looking forward to discussing that stuff. Yeah, the 60, genres and the changes. 60s through 80s, also in those decades, we'll get to see the beginning of like men like Martin Scorsese, yep. Stanley Kubrick, and uh, what's his name? Sweet. Alfred Hitchcock. Alfred, well, Alfred Hitchcock actually started in the 30s. Oh, okay. Which we'll be discussing more about with fit because I'm going to continue my 50s segment when we get time. Yeah, we'll begin two. in the mid late 50s. 50s yeah. And then we'll continue in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Because we got to talk about Rare Window. I mean, we right. can't miss Rare Window. Oh. <laughs> and then, and then uh, yeah, I think I mentioned all, a few of those directors. I'm sure there's yeah. more, but yeah. Oh, yeah, there's quite a few. And then the Star Rising Stars of De Niro and Pacino and. Yep. All those big names. Gangster films. Gangster make a films, yeah. Sci-fi makes a huge prominence oh, in the 70s. Yeah. And, Star Wars, Star and Trek. And what, what comes from Star Wars. Well, Star Trek was actually a TV show. Star oh, Trek, true. Wait, no. In 78, they had the motion picture. I forgot about that. Yeah. They came out a year after Star Wars. But, um, you know, so we have a ton of other stuff to talk about part two. We're very excited to talk about the next two parts. Yep. Until then, um, yeah, I'm Andrew. And I'm Wyatt. You guys have a great day or night.